It's the next level. I got a call from Alice's mum, June. She'd said that um, Alice was missing and presumed, like, she drowned. And, like, I, I didn't not believe her, but I don't know. I just, it was kind of hard to take. So I actually called Alice's mobile. I just, um, maybe wanted to see if, hope it was a joke or something. I don't know. A real shock. Um, just didn't really feel like it was real. Um, everything was the same as always, but people were saying Alice had drowned. Are there any memories from that night that stand out for you? I remember we had the porch light on. Still two, actually, just in case. And why is that? she comes home, I guess. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Hey kids, so you know what? I've been thinking. I might have to start calling the beginning of this show like something like social media exploits or social media fails or something to that effect because it always seems like every episode I start off bitching about something I see on social media <laughs> this week. Ah, so here's the new one. So now social media is trying to conform people into believing that it is okay to say that September 1st is the beginning of Halloween. Fuck you. Get lost. No. Um, but here's my thing. And keep in mind, I'm being sarcastic and just, you know, being a prick when I say this, but like we already have this whole thing with like pumpkin spice, like everything. To the point where we even have pumpkin spice cat litter. Like, okay. And we have this thing on social media where we seem to think that it's okay to tell everyone that Hocus Pocus is a great movie. You see where I'm going with that. But here, so do we really need to include the basic bitches in everything? Now telling them that it's okay to say that September 1st is the beginning of the Halloween season. Yay! All right! Hip hip hooray! No, fuck you. For the longest time, my kind of people, you know, those of us that, like, live this shit, like, 365 days a year, we've been laughed at, we've been mocked, we've been asked the question, why are you like this? Like, Christmas is all about colors and happiness, yeah, and it's also about Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Rare Exports and Scent and all those other great fucking horror movies. Like, we have horror movies for every for every holiday. I mean, there's, what, the Beaster Bunny for Easter? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like April Fool's Day has a movie with its name. Or like with it, it, that holiday has a movie with its name all over it. I mean, <sighs> the thing is, is that like now all of a sudden, you know, because, you know, trending. Haha, it's so cool on social media. I can post this that, you know, September 1st means I can now celebrate Halloween. <sighs> all right. But then again, you know, I got to keep in mind that we also live in a world where we want to move you know, Halloween to the last Saturday of October? Fuck you, no you can't. It's October 31st and leave it there. Like, I know, my bad, right? Like, I forgot this was the world we lived in, but whatever. On with the show.
Coming to you undead and sarcastically from Studio Zero at the Next Level Network of Podcasts. It's that haunting shadow of doom, gloom, and satire you just can't get enough of. It's time to ask the question, do you believe in ghosts? On this week's episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I'm your host, Postmortem Paul. And guess what, kids? This is episode 54. Woo! This week, hopefully, you won't want to drown in a lake after the show is done, though. But we're traveling. Traveling we will go to the land down under, also known as Australia. Yeah, this week, uh, we're going to have a shared experience as we investigate, or, well, review, <laughs> um, the wonder and creepiness, creepiness, creepiness of 2008's underrated Aussie mockumentary flick. This was a listener request from Justin Voorhees on Instagram. Yes, the movie this week, Lake Mungo. This is, uh, I'm glad this one was requested, actually. You know, last week, by the way, I think I I mentioned that it was a 2007 movie. Okay, so technically the story in the movie is being told in 2007. The movie was actually released in 2008. So that was kind of a fail on my part. But anyways, whatever. Yes, uh, this week's movie review of the week is Lake Mungo. But first, 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 first. Because I always, I always got to like loosen up the show, right? So, <laughs> I know, I, this is so like you know, basic and common of me to ask this question. But, you know, I'm assuming that many of you are like me and are probably fans of the band Tool. So I got to ask, how many of you have checked out that new album? Like... Wow. Um, okay, so <laughs> the thing I like about this album, and this is kind of like my music review of the week, yay! Uh, but no, the thing I like about this album was the first time I listened to it, I was like, okay. Um, I didn't love it. I was amazed, but I didn't love it. There wasn't, like, like when I listen to like Anima or Lateralus or especially even Opiate, which was like one of my ultimate favorites, even though the band really doesn't make music like that anymore. But um, like I love those albums. There's a passion that comes with it. The first time I listened to, you know, Fear Inoculum, it was like it was like I was mind blown. I was amazed, but there wasn't the love factor yet. Now, after listening to... I Fuck, I've had it on repeat for, what, the last three, four days? It's been non-stop. I haven't stopped listening to it, basically. Um, I can honestly say now that I'm at that love point. Like, now it's like, okay, this is the tool I know and the tool I love, and I love this album. Um, favorite tracks so far? I, it's a toss-up between three, and actually, I mean, it's hard to really pick because they all have their their thing you know what i mean but so far i I keep tossing between numa invincible and tempest but that's not to say the other songs are not great i mean but the thing with this album you got to keep in mind this album is almost 90 minutes long and technically we have six songs six mega songs like i mean they're they range between like 10 and a half minutes to 16 minutes long like there is no short song on this album. Now, you have the four interludes, which the interludes... It, okay, so some people don't like that bands do that. I like when Tool do it because you always discover some new sound in that interlude. Like, no matter how many times you listen to it, you discover something in the interlude. And this album is a lot to take in, and it's definitely a complex album. Like, well, what is it, like... 12 years in the making, 13 years in the making, something like that, 11 years in the making, whatever it is. I mean, fuck, over a decade, right? And well worth the wait. I mean, it's like a couple of my friends were like, so what do you think of it? And I was like, I wish the album was like 12 hours longer. Like, I wish there was like so much more content. But what we were given is it, it's something that like, like, I mean, I've, like I said, I've had it on repeat for the last three four days and i'm still hearing new stuff like when i'm listening to it and 
the experience is different too. Like if you're listening to it on a surround sound system, it sounds different than on headphones or like, you know, you know what I mean? Or like a two speaker system or whatever, like every which way you listen to it, you notice something different and kudos to the fucking band. Like, I mean, it, it fucking rocks. I, I was really amazed and really loved it. And I, I, like I said, it, on repeat and I'm still listening to it to this very moment. Well, not as I'm recording, obviously, but you get my point. Um, the other thing that we've had recently drop is the Dark Crystal series uh, dropped on Netflix. I haven't checked it out yet. Um, that's goals for this week, <laughs> but I haven't checked it out yet. Uh, I will probably be commenting a little bit on it, hopefully next episode. It depends on how far I get through it. Uh, this past weekend was college football kickoff. and Yes, I'm a horror nerd and I do love my football. <laughs> and... Yeah, so I, I watched a lot of football this past weekend and whatnot. And I was like, you know what? Dark Crystal ain't going anywhere. It's on Netflix now. I know I have lots of time to watch it, so I'm going to be checking that out. I also plan on checking out The Boys. It's been recommended to me several times now. Uh, the Boys is from the uh, Amazon Prime. So I plan on checking that out. And you got to keep in mind, kids, we are less than a month away from Creepshow coming to Shudder. I am absolutely fucking so hyped for that on top of the fact that darcy the male girl on uh, twitter has uh, recently tweeted that news is coming very soon about season two of the last drive-in so hopefully we're gonna have that news you know in the very near future it's something that again it's something i'm looking forward to i'm hoping it, in a way i'm kind of hoping they kick it off like near halloween be really kind of cool like no not the september 1st halloween um but <laughs> but you know like the week of halloween it would be really cool to have like last driving come back and come back with a bang and you know possibly even review like halloween 3 season of the witch come on now joe bob you gotta make darcy happy like that's one of her favorite movies it's one of my favorite movies but anyways uh lurker's recommendation and then we'll get into the movie so lurker's recommendation of the week is actually a very old film um, a film from 1989, so what, 30 years uh, thirty years old. Okay, so here's the thing about this movie. This movie was written and directed by J.R. Bookwalter. It was uh, produced by <laughs> The Master Cylinder. Now, here's my thing about this, okay? So the movie, the recommendation of the week, is a movie called The Dead Next Door. And I had it reminded to me, I was watching... The documentary uh, Adjust Your Tracking, which is about VHS collecting and whatnot. And during the, the course of the documentary, the movie The Dead Next Door was mentioned. I was like, fuck, I'm almost positive I've seen that. Like, they, it, it just seemed familiar, right? And I mean, like, I, I grew up in that VHS era where, you know, we rented movies. It didn't matter who was in it or whatever. It was just, had, had a cool cover. We rented it. Well, turns out i did actually see this movie years ago but um i didn't know certain things that i now know like for example the master cylinder who is the producer of the film is actually sam raimi and also two of the characters in this movie were voice dubbed it wasn't their actual voices by bruce campbell and here's the thing watching it now as you know years later and as I was watching it, I'm like, oh my god, that is Bruce Campbell's voice. And it's funny because it was something that must have seriously gotten past me, like, in my younger days, you know, whatever. But it caused me to look into the film a little bit more and finding out that, like, Sam Raimi, how, the money he made from Evil Dead 2 is what he used to pay for this movie. And again, much like Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, this film, what it did was certain characters in in the film had like names that were um, directly linked to horror directors or, you know, notable names in the business. You know, uh, there's Raimi is in this film. Savini is in this film. Commander Carpenter. Uh, you know, there's also um, two of their like soldiers in their, their zombie soldier group, whatever uh, their names were Romero and King. Um, and I, I should mention that Bruce Campbell voices the characters of Raimi and Commander Carpenter. You know, Carpenter, John Carpenter kind of thing. So anyways, it's 
not a very well shot film. As a matter of fact, I believe re- if I if I read correctly, I mean the movie was not filmed on thirty five millimeter film. It was like filmed on like Super Eight VHS style recording. It the movie does not look that good, but. I mean, it's still, it's fun to watch. And some of the special effects, as low budget and cheap as they are, are actually kind of cool. You can sort of see um, an Evil Dead influence into this film. As a matter of fact, there's even one part in the film where they're watching a movie on TV and it's the Evil Dead they're watching. So, I mean, it's kind of cool. But anyways, I've I've babbled long enough. Um, Oh, I I guess I should explain. Yes. Okay. So if you're looking for it to watch it, I'm going to mention that Uh, you can actually find a a free downloadable copy on archive.org. The movie's there. Uh, There was the VHS recording, which I believe is the one that's on archive.org. I could be wrong about that. Um, But the the VHS version version was 83 minutes long Um, in 2015, I think it was, there's actually a Blu-ray that was released to this movie now. And the Blu-ray has both the original version and the cut version because Anchor, Anchor Bay had released in, I want to say it was like 2005 because it was like 10 years before or something like that. Uh, they they remastered it and re-released it, but they cut like five minutes out of the movie. Those five minutes were restored when the Blu-ray came out. So if you're looking to check out this movie, it's on archive.org for free. Or you can, you know, look into possibly picking up the Blu-ray or the DVD or whatnot. But, okay, so like I said, it's now time to get our creepy on and dive into a seriously underrated and far superior mockumentary. Uh, This, uh, like I said earlier, is a movie that comes from Australia. It comes from the land down under. And it's a little ditty known as Lake Mungo. We're going to drop the trailer. And then we'll return to talk the shit out of this movie. Because there's a lot to talk about. Alright? Back in a moment, kids. The following is based on true events. Can you interpret dreams? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. How do you feel when you wake up from these dreams? For Alice Palmer, underneath the hopes of a bright future were suspicions. I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. That death was near. You scared of dying? Yeah, of course I'm scared of dying. That was the last time that I saw her. I kept hearing noises in the hallway. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. I feel like I can't. Do anything. I think Ali saw a ghost. I didn't have any rational explanation for who was in those photos. Something was happening inside that house and I wanted to find out what it was. There was a ghost in the house. All right, kids, it's time for movie review of the week. Digging this one out of the vaults. Uh, it's not that old of a film, actually. 11 years, 11 years. Um, again, I'll repeat, it's a listener request, listener request from Justin Voorhees on Instagram. I, I, I've i known Justin for a while, and this was a film he mentioned to me going back at least two or three years ago. And first time I watched it, I remember he he had said to me, he's like, don't read anything on it or anything, just watch it. And I went in completely blind. And I don't know, it's not that I was disappointed, but I mean, you guys know, and I, I, highlight, I highlighted this when I did, you know, the Blair Witch Project uh, movie review. I'm not, I'm not one for found footage, although it would be unfair to call this a found footage film. But those kinds of like... The films where they're they're trying to make you believe it's real usually fall short on me because I guess it just I, I go into it knowing it's a movie. This one, on the other hand, though, watching it a second time, I'm glad I did. Um, I, I 
because I knew this time, okay, I'm like, okay, I know this is a mockumentary film. I'm walking into this knowing what it is now. I watched it from a different point of view. I, I watched it as, does it pull it off well? And, well, that's what we're going to talk about this this review. So, might as well get right into it because there is a lot to talk about. I have a lot of notes on this, so there's a lot to talk about here. The film in question here is Lake Mungo. Um, so, release date, it's kind of interesting. This was This never had a a wide theatrical release. It was a lot of film festival showings and then straight to DVD. So the first ever viewing uh, for the film was at the Sydney Film Festival in Australia, June 18th, 2008. The first North American viewing was March 2009. I couldn't find a specific date for this, but March 2009 at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. Following year, January 29th in, in you know 2010, it it had technically I guess its bigger you know premiere uh, at the After Dark Horror Festival in the United States, and then its North American like wide premiere was on DVD March 23rd, 2010. There's a lot of other release dates, but I just kind of stuck with Australia and North America. But um, again, it it wasn't it didn't have a wide theatrical release. So uh, of course, like when I get to like how much the the movie grossed, it's not very high because it only played at certain you know certain festivals and whatnot. So, anyways, this film um, was written, produced, and directed by Joel Anderson. Joel Anderson has not done, like, he's not done a lot of work. Um, this is his only full feature directing credit. As a matter of fact, I think it's his only full feature producing credit as well. Um, he did do two short films, uh, one called The Rotting Woman and another one called Gravity. I haven't seen either, so I can't comment on them, but Joel Anderson, um, I, I, I'm going to say this, like, in prefacing where we're going with this, I, I will say this, the man's got talent. That, that much I'm going to say for now, I'll talk more later when I get into the, the beef of the review, but the man has talent. Don't let the fact that he's only done three directing credits, like, only has three directing credits fool you. Okay, um... The film was also produced by David Rapsey and Georgie Neville. Um, really, this is about the the biggest credit they had. One thing you're going to notice, and as I'm getting further through the names and the cast and whatnot, there's no famous names here. The famous names are all people that these individuals worked with. Uh, for example, cinematography by John Brawley. Now, John Brawley is also one of the associate producers for Lake Mungo. And he's worked on a lot of Australian properties, a lot of Australian TV and movies, um, projects like 20-something, Underbelly, Hunters, The Warriors, which is not The Warriors from 1978, I think it is, whatever. It's not that. It, this Warriors is about an Australian football team. Uh, he worked on the U.S. TV series, though, The Resident, uh, which featured stars like Emily Van Camp, Bruce Greenwood, and Malcolm Jamal Warner. That's probably the biggest credit I saw to his name aside from Lake Mungo. The music for this film was done by David Patterson, who also goes by Die Patterson, like D-A-I. Um, I, I noticed it was credited both ways. Uh, anyways, he had a lot of help uh, in this project from Fernando Corona who also goes by the name of Murkoff. Now, Murkoff is an electronic music composer from Mexico. Does a lot of, like, ambient stuff. A lot of, like, um... I don't want to say it's synthwave. It's it's more mellow than synthwave. Like, and in, the, in, this, in this film, he does a lot of, like, the haunting... The haunting score, like, the, the really, like, creepy stuff. Um, which all came from excerpts from his music. Like, uh, different... Uh, tracks from different albums of they took they took ex excerpts of it and placed it in the film. So he 
he got credited as well. Um, actually, I don't even know if he was actually credited in the credits. I know David Patterson was, but I don't know about Murkoff. Now that I think about it, I don't remember seeing it. But anyways, he did help with this film. Um, in terms of David Patterson, no, this is his only composing credit. He is also known to be an actor. And I believe he's even done like uh, mini directorials and whatnot. But David Patterson was an actor in the Beastmaster series from 2001. Obviously not the original with Mark Singer, but he he was in like the the remake or the reboot or whatever. And he was also in the Salem's Lot miniseries from 2004. Again, another remake, but he, he was more more known for his acting than his composing skills but i got to admit like his his comp- his composing it for this was pretty good um we're going to move on to the starring cast which is i say this loosely because you're not going to know any of these actors but there's a lot of ways they all were interlinked um but i i, I feel it's it would be a discredit not to talk about them so we're going to talk about the starring cast starting with Rosie Trainer as June Palmer. June Palmer is Alice Palmer's mother. Um, she had a few acting credits, not a lot, but she was in a 2014 thriller um, known as Cut Snake. I've never seen this, but it, it caught my attention. And she was in the film with Jessica DeGal, which if any of you are familiar with the CW series Arrow, uh, Jessica DeGau played the Huntress, or you know Helena Bert- Helena Bertinelli, um, which a lot of people have been saying they wish like you know Arrow would get Jessica DeGau to come back. Being it's Arrow's final season this year, who knows that that might be on the bubble? I don't know. Um, we always hear all these stupid rumors. <laughs> We've got this covered. Don't follow that site. Uh, they'd like to talk a lot of bullshit. Um, but moving on to the cast of Lake Mungo, David Pledger as Russell Palmer. Now, he's the father of Alice. Um, again, not a very well-known actor. Did a lot of Australian TV. Um, he was in shows like Snowy River, which... Um, Snowy River, if I remember correctly. Yes, Snowy River was called Snowy River the McGregor Saga. Um, so he was in that. He was in a TV show known as Blue Healers. Now, I mention that because almost all these actors have been in Blue Healers. Uh, so they they all know each other. And the Dr. Blake Mysteries, he was in that as well. Uh, Martin Sharp. Martin Sharp plays Matthew. He plays Matty, the, the son of the family. Um, Matthew Palmer. And he was best known as Scooter Carpenter in the Australian series Scooter Secret Agent. Um, I mention that because that's important to know. He was also in Blue Healers, like I said. He was also in a show known as uh, Fergus McPhail. And he did have one appearance on the show, Wentworth. Um, but I, I mentioned the, 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 the series Scooter Secret Agent because our next star in the film, Talia Zucker, she plays Alice Palmer. She's basically the, the focus of this story. She also was a regular on Scooter Secret Agent, and she had a small role on Blue Healers. So it, it was interesting, and I'm going to continue going through the cast, but it was interesting to see like how many of these actors all were on this show, Blue Healers. Um, and I'm not from Australia. I don't know Australian TV that well. I don't even know how famous this Blue Healers was, but I kept noticing that almost all of these actors came from that series. So I found that very interesting. Now, um, our next... This one was interesting. The, ne- the next guy I'm going to talk about, uh, Steve Jodrell. Uh, I think I'm saying his name like Jodrell. Um, J-O-D-R-E-L-L. I'm going to start spelling these names because I'm not good at pronunciating them. Uh, or pronouncing them, pronunciating, whatever. Jeez, I try to make myself sound like all intelligent, and I end up sounding like a bibbling idiot. But anyways, <laughs> uh, he plays Ray Kameni in this. Uh, Ray Kameni is the, um, he's kind of like the the seer. He's the he's the, um, the medium that can channel between the living and the dead and whatnot. Um, so more known as a director, then he was an actor, uh, directed four episodes of Snowy River, the McGregor saga. He also directed a 1997 movie known as 
profile of a profile of a serial killer. And I mentioned that because in this film, Hugh Jackman. Yes, Hugh Jackman was in this film. And I mean, when you look up the film, there's not much on it on the internet. There's not, you know, it's one of Hugh Jackman's more like lesser known roles. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Steve Jadrell worked with uh, Hugh Jackman on that film. He also directed two episodes of the TV series Last Man Standing. And <laughs> I mentioned this because we're not talking the U.S. version. There is an Australian Last Man Standing TV series, and that was the one he directed on. Um, also acted in a few Australian projects like Blue Healers. I mentioned this again. Um, Embassy, uh, Phoenix, where on the show Phoenix, his name was John Rias, which you think John Rias Davies, but it, yeah, his, his name was John Rias. And he, he was Skipper Creeley. On the show Clowning Around. And this, I brought this up because it's a show that was written by Tom Cavanaugh, who most of you, if you follow the CW series The Flash, yes, Tom Cavanaugh is Harrison Wells. He's Reverse Flash, Harry, and all the other personas he's played. He wrote for the show Clowning Around, in which Steve Jadrell played Skipper Creeley. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like how I'm noticing, like, when I was doing this, how like some of these actors and these names are tied to the CW through like sort of like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of way. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Uh, okay. So the remaining cast, they, these people didn't work on a lot. They, they have very minor crediting, uh, like minor credits to their, um, to their name. Uh, Tania Lantini as Georgie Ritter. She basically was in a lot of Australian short films or minor roles on TV. Cameron Strachan as Leith Ritter. Guess what? This is it. Lake Mungo's the only thing he's ever done. He had no other credits at all. Judith Roberts as Iris Long. Uh, 22 acting credits. None of them all too big. However, yes, she was on Blue Healers. I, I should nickname this like episode like the, the review of the Blue Healers actors because <laughs> they all were on this show. Robin Cumming as Garrett Long. Again, Blue Healers. Also was in um, the Australian film The Heartbreak Kid and the TV series Five Mile Creek, which I've heard of Five, Five Mile Creek. I've never watched it, but I do. I, I recognize the name, so I was like, hmm, jot that down. Uh, Marcus Costello as Jason Whittle. Jason Whittle and Kim Whittle are the two that you heard in the very opening of this episode, uh, the, the clip I played from the movie. They're the two that were talking. Um, so Marcus Costello... Worked with some of these actors in that show, uh, Fergus McPhail and Chloe Armstrong as Kim Whittle. She actually was in um, a re-adaptation of Macbeth with Sam Worthington. And it was directed by Jeffrey Wright, who also did the movie Cherry Falls. So I thought that was kind of cool. And again, she was in Blue Healers. And we're almost done, folks. We're almost done. Uh, Tamara Donnellan? I think I said that right. Tamara Donnellan as Marissa Tuhi. And yes, you you guessed it. She was in Blue Healers. She was also in the movie Knowing. You know that Nicolas Cage film that was directed by Alex Proyas? Yeah, she was in that. Um, and Scott Terrell as Brett Tuhi. He was in an Australian thriller known as Jugular, which starred Kristen Condon, who was... I, I This was awesome. I was having fun just like jumping around to see what people had worked on. So he was in this movie Jugular that starred Kristen Condon. Kristen Condon was in an Australian action cheese flick called Sheborg. And her character's name was Constable Nobody Cares. I am so looking this movie up one day. That there is no way I am not seeing this movie. And, and the names for all the characters were like that. Like I, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but when I saw that her name was Constable Nobody Cares, I was like, "That's f this is fucking hilarious. And an Australian film, so goddamn Australians. Uh, so the budget, and I did some conversion here. So the budget for this film was $1.4 in Australian funds, which averages to about 942000 US. The box office for the Australian release was just under 30000 which is a little bit more than 20,000 US. 
And I know you're thinking, okay, well, they spent a lot of money and they didn't make a lot back. But like I said, it did, it didn't have a wide theatrical release. So the fact that it made thirty thousand just based on like film festivals is pretty good. Like I, I'm not gonna knock that. Um, it was re- released by Screen Australia and Mungo Productions, which I'm assuming is Joel Anderson's you know production thing. He probably just gave it the name Mungo Productions. Um, however, in North America, it was distributed by Lionsgate and After Dark Films. So now it is time. Before we get into the notes from the beyond, I'm going to do my synopsis reading, which this, I believe, is the synopsis from the back of the DVD. So it's it's straight from the source. And uh, yeah, we're going to add a little bit of pizzazz to it just to make it fun. So synopsis reading time. 16-year-old Alice Palmer drowns while swimming in the local dam. When her body is recovered and a verdict of accidental death returned, her grieving family buries her. The family then experiences a series of strange and inexplicable events centered in and around their home. Profoundly unsettled, the Palmers seek the help of psychic and parapsychologist Ray Kameni. Ray discovers that Alice led a secret double life. A series of clues lead the family to Lake Mungo, where Alice's secret past emerges. Lake Mungo is a mystery, a thriller, and a ghost story. Okay, yeah, so Lake Mungo is technically a ghost story. But what I really enjoyed about this film is it's not just a ghost story, and it's not just a mockumentary. Yes, that's the format used, but there's a lot more to this film than just trying to make a faux documentary. Okay, so anyways, it's time for the notes from the beyond. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to dive right into it. Starting off with first off, okay, so this was the way my mind works because earlier I was talking about how like, you know, well, at Christmas time we watch horror movies. So the beginning of this film takes place December 21st, 2005. That's the very first initial date of this. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, okay. So this is kind of like a holiday movie, um, at least in the beginning. Um, because it, it, it takes place uh, basically between 2005 and 2007 is when most of this story takes place. And of course, then there's the whole idea of, you know, People will be like, oh, well, it's, it says, it, you know, she died December 21st, but there was no snow on the ground. And why were they camping? Keep in mind, this is in Australia. The seasons are reversed. So December is actually a summer month for Australia. That's, that's something to keep in mind. Um, and then, of course, me, because I have to go fact-checking shit and whatnot. So the grand, Alice's grandmother at one point in, very early in the film says that... Um, the 27th of December was a Monday and that the Tuesday was the 28th. In 2005, actually, the 27th of December was the Tuesday and the 28th was the Wednesday. And okay, so people will say, oh, well, yeah, well, Australia is always ahead of, uh, you know, ahead of North American time. That's true, but it still doesn't change when the date of the day, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean that all of a sudden the 27th is the Tuesday in Australia, but here in the rest of the world, it's on the Monday. No. Um, so it was kind of a, a little bit of a blooper, but whatever. This movie is so beautifully shot. Um, there are some absolutely gorgeous shots of Ararat. And that's where the majority of this film takes place is in Ararat. Uh, what is it? Ararat, Victoria in Australia. Um, if if there's if there's anything anything about this film that has a detracting point to it, it's the pacing of the film. And you have to understand, it's a very slow paced film. The thing is, is that I think the slow pacing is meant for a reason, which I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But I'm going to do a quick history lesson about this film, okay? Because it's really going to help me to further my review. If you guys know this, so most of this film was written in 2005, and quite quickly, I might add. The funding, though, for the director, uh, Joel Anderson, he was having a hard time coming by funding for it. So, because, well, it's not necessarily this film that he wanted to fund. He, he had another project he wanted to work on, but 
he couldn't get the money for that and it was you know advised to him it was like well look if you want to make some money the best way to do this is to make another film that's going to have a lower budget so he made this one he made lake mungo um, because this film wouldn't cost him as much to make. Now, I don't know what his other project is. I, I wasn't able to find it written anywhere as to what his other project is that he had in mind. So I'm assuming, though, it's got to be, you know, pretty... It must be pretty out there because he couldn't get funding for it. Anyways, he made this, and, like, his, his approach to this was, he, like he said, he didn't see this as much as a, 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 a you know, a supernatural thriller as more it's an exploration of grief and right when when i read that i was like yes exactly that's what this is this is a very interesting take in the horror genre because it's it's kind of like last week's episode where i where i talked about pet cemetery and how pet cemetery was about loss and grief and that's what this is this is done differently than pet cemetery but that basically is what this film is and I, you know, you've heard me say on the podcast before that like real life is more scarier than these horror films. The thing is, is that if you want to make a horror film actually creep someone out or actually get under their skin, try to make it as real life as you can. Grief, death, loss, all that sort of stuff. That is real. That is very real. That happens every day in the world. And with doing that for this film, really helped it it's a very subtle film it's very like i said it's slow paced the slow pacing though does help the film in its own way now the thing about this film the actors they like i said earlier a lot of unknowns or low pro low profile actors which really works in tricking the audience because if you don't recognize them you could actually believe this is a real documentary. These look like, well, I mean, they are real people, but what I mean is they look like your average, normal, everyday neighbors and your friends and the people that you coexist with. And because they're not, they, you don't have like, you know, I'm trying to think of like famous Australian actors like Nicole Kidman, for example, or Hugh Jackman or whatnot. These faces, you don't know them. So, it works into tricking the audience into thinking this is actually a real documentary. And I guess that's something that I should comment about Blair Witch. Yes, it took three unknown actors and put them on the screen. As I've said before, though, my problem with Blair Witch, too much fucking arguing. But anyways, that, that, that was another review and that's done. Here's the thing about these actors. Now, the script that they were given had little to no dialogue. They had to ad-lib almost everything in this film. Only the outline of the story was scripted. That's it. This was a very, very basic script. There was no dialogue. Like, well, I, I think there might have been like the odd cue written or something like that. These actors are actually fucking acting. They had to do their homework they had to do their work they had to actually this wasn't a matter of reading lines which in a way this is what makes this film so fucking amazing because you don't have actors reading lines how many times have you guys heard me say in this podcast oh well so and so was they came off like they were reading their lines hell i just said it last week about dale midkiff about how in certain scenes it seems like he's he's reading his lines they didn't have lines to read. They had to make that shit up on the go. So, I mean, when you think about that and, and the emotion they bring to it and the, the the reality they bring to it, it really, really fucking works. Like, I mean, this film is shot, directed, and acted so damn well. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. Okay, going into it, yes, I know it's a movie. Yes, I know it's a film. But... If I was to block that part of my brain out and and watch this as if I was watching like one of those stupid shows like 2020 or something like that, like this is more believable than all that propaganda shit you watch on TV on a daily basis. Like every night on TV, you see all that propaganda brainwashing you and whatnot. This looks like that, except I would actually want to believe this. Like, um, and you are watching it and you are if you allow yourself to suspend the disbelief, you would actually think, did this really happen? Um, 
as I mentioned, it's 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 an exploration of grief. It's a film about pain. It's about disillusionment. It's about the the way the mind works after the death of a loved one. And Pet Cemetery kind of did that, but Pet Cemetery didn't go as far as to show. Here was the one thing I really enjoyed about this film is showing the discovery of the secrets that follow when someone is lost. How many times have we had where someone has passed away and then we start talking and we're reminiscing and things come out and we start to find out that the person that we thought we knew we didn't know or we didn't know as much about. Um, I mean, this film, like, like just... And there's one scene that's like absolutely disturbing in this film is is the scene where we discover that Alice Palmer, 15, 16 year old Alice Palmer had like some like twisted fucking like like a, like a sex scandal going on with the Tuies, like to the point where it technically was statutory rape. Uh, going on with the and she has this VHS tape of it and there's like you know there you go there's your idea of found footage the family finds this footage and they discover their daughter was like involved in this to which I guess we're supposed to assume she was okay with it not that it makes it okay trust me it's not okay but my point is is then she has this VHS tape in her safe Alice does was it for leverage over the Tuhis? Like, was she blackmailing them? W- was this something that she was doing? And they they may have thought they had the upper hand, but she had the upper hand on them. Or like like, and there's that that idea that use of technology to capture moments in life, and a lot of what we learn about Alice is through the hours of the of tape footage and phone footage that there was with Alice involved in it. Um, I mean, and you keep in mind, like as the story goes on and they discover, you know, they, they follow the clues down to Lake Mungo and then they find out that the night she died through her phone footage, they see this image. They see this like, like almost like an apparition or a premonition because as, as the father says, like, I see this image on her phone footage and it looks like the girl I identified as my daughter. Like, and it's very creepy, very, very well done in the way that like, I mean, we're, we're not, this is not the kind of horror movie that has jump scares. This is not, I, as a matter of fact, I think there's like one whole fucking jump scare in the whole goddamn movie. This is one of those unsettling films that you're watching and as the time is passing on, as you're watching it, and it's uh, it's runtime, I think is like an hour and thirty three minutes. Like it's it's basically your ninety minute horror film, but it's it's the fact that it creeps into your mind and it lingers and it festers and it causes you it causes your mind to wander, it causes your mind to think, and that's what this this movie does so well. Um, the idea of technology, we also see another aspect of it in terms of Matt, you know, Matt Palmer, um, as like his mom, his, his mom's grieving, you know, she wants to believe that Alice is still around in some form or another. She wants to believe that in some way Alice hasn't absolutely left them. So he, using technology, manipulates video and photographic footage like imagery and you know, composites Alice's face in like mirrors or by, you know, a tree and stuff like that. And as the film goes on and we start to see like, especially near like the end credits and yes, I'm spoiling everything. If if you haven't seen this go watch it, but I'm spoiling shit. You should have stopped this episode a long time ago. Um, But when you're seeing that, Okay, Matthew thought he was helping his mother out by compositing Alice in these pictures. Alice actually was in those pictures, just in another part of the picture. And we discover that later. And as you're watching this, you know, you're not actually thinking that this movie is really creepy. As a matter of fact, like I said, because the because of the slow pace, you almost don't realize all that you're taking in 
but it is actually affecting you emotionally. And I mean, okay, yes, it, it, every movie has its flaws. Okay, every every movie has its plot points and its plot holes. But what this movie does through its form of storytelling, it takes your mind off of it. You you're not. Yes, you 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 might stay aware of of you know what you know what might not fit into place properly but you are so invested in this story and you're so curious as to where this is going that it, it takes your mind off of that and i'm also going to add because i wrote this for my own personal notes it doesn't hurt that i love the australian accent god i love the australian accent uh so anytime people are talking i'm like oh especially females but anyways the other thing about this film, the other thing, there's no gore. Um, in terms of like special effects, so to speak, I mean, a lot of that special effects comes from the technology or the technological aspect of the film, like the whole doctoring of the photos, doctoring of the videos, the whole idea of that they're discovering about their daughter through the different footage that was left behind and whatnot. That's where a lot of the special effects come into play. But when they also show the discovery of Alice's body, and how it's like it's kind of bluish and it's got algae and seaweed on it and the one eye is like banged up and the, well it's basically closed um the obvious signs of rigor mortis that it started to develop that's about as gory as you're gonna get with this film um and i mean like you guys know like you heard my disappointment about the blair witch I, the blair witch perfectly marketed horrible film and the whole idea of like the arguing, the constant arguing in the Blair Witch. That's what this movie gets right. The emotions. People are not arguing. It's not stupidity. It's like at, at, at times when like the mother seems upset, she seems genuinely upset. Um, when we're seeing like the old footage of Alice and like when she's when we see that she actually knew who Ray Kmeny was and she went to him about these premonitions she was having, she seems genuinely like genuinely disturbed. Um, but the thing is, is like that's the thing. Like the, the movie shows so many different emotions. It shows how the friends of the family they wanted to genuinely help. Um, and if I say that word a lot, genuinely, that's what this movie gets. It's the genuine like portrayals it's it's not a film of kids arguing over who has a stupid map and yes more mockumentary than found footage but you can throw this kind of in the found footage category for the fact that a lot of the story of alice is told through the backstory of the footage left behind the vhs tapes the phones and all that sort of stuff and we discover all the secrets she kept um in terms of like ratings and whatnot so imdb has this at 6.2 out of 10 rotten tomatoes however 94 <laughs> percent approval rating however i will say that the audience score is at 62 percent almost basically on par with imdb uh, Letterboxd has it at a 3.4 out of 5, and 83% of Google users like this film. In terms of uh, critics and whatnot, nothing on Ebert or Siskel, so I don't even have to fucking talk about them guys. Yeehaw. But Simon Foster of the SBS, the Special Broadcasting Service in Australia, he called this film one of the most impressive debut films from this country in many years. He also further commented that the young director has created a nerve rattler unlike any film the Australian industry has produced. And you know, when I think about it, like in terms of like, okay, like a, a film like Wolf Creek, for example, which is also from Australia, Wolf Creek is very direct and in your face. And it's, it's a straight out, like fucking like nail, nail biter. It's a fucking grinder. It's fucking violent. It's aggressive. This is so different from that. This is one of those things where it's like it's it's just worming its way into your heart and mind and you don't even realize it until you're like five minutes left in the film and you're like, fuck, I'm totally engrossed in this. Um, 
Brian Holcomb of Cinema Blend said it's actually quite difficult to imagine that this isn't a true story and that the actors playing the tragic Palmers are not exactly who they say they are. Exactly. Point nailed right on the head. Because these actors are unknowns, because these actors had no dialogue and had to do this on their own, my God, they play this so well. You don't watching this you don't think they are not who they they they, they say they are like like you are you are 100 percent invested in that's you know that that that's uh russell palmer and that's matt palmer and that's alice palmer like you totally fucking buy it it is so well done for the podcast zero rank and rating i personally i'm I'm way higher. Well, I shouldn't say way higher, but I'm higher than IMDb and I'm higher than the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. I give it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, This is a very well done film and I am so glad I went back and watched it again. I am so... The first time I watched it, kind of like as I was saying earlier about like Tool's new album, the love factor wasn't there when I heard it the first time and that grew into like a, a an absolute an absolute passion same with this the first time i watched this i think that was what was missing was i didn't love it i appreciated what i saw i was like all right not bad but i didn't have that passion factor where watching it a second time that that sparked um again and i can't reiterate it enough how much the actors sold their roles with no dialogue scripted for them. Like they had to make it work. They had to sell it and they do an absolutely fantastic job. I knock a few points off because yes, the film is a slow film, but in that same regard, it does help to slowly creep at you, slowly escalate your intrigue and your sense of fear or uneasiness. The music, the music by David Patterson is haunting and also by Murkoff, of course. Um, it adds just enough intensity to the volume of the story. The movie is just shot perfectly in one way, totally a documentary feel. Like that that's the thing. Like this looks legitimate. And in another way, in other ways, it's just like absolute great capturing of the simplicity and softness of a small Australian town. It's a seven, seven and a half out of ten of all the mockumentary or found footage films out there. This is how you do it. This is how you fucking do it. I, I am not a, I, like I said, I am not a fan of that genre of horror, but if you're going to do it, you do it right. And that's how this was done. Kudos to Joel Anderson, to the starring, like to, to the cast, the crew, you fucking nailed it. And on that note, thanks for listening, kids. I'm, I'm so glad. I, I, again, thank you, Justin Voorhees on Instagram for requesting this. I'm glad I went back and, and checked this out a second time because I think after that first time I was kind of left, not I don't want to say with a bitter taste, but it was like whenever I heard people talking about Lake Mungo, I was like, oh, it was all right. I'll tell you, when you watch it for a second time, and I, I granted, I'm going in watching it on two levels. I'm watching it as a critic, but I'm also watching it in in the in the way of do i enjoy this movie um again i am so glad i just i'm so glad i went back and checked this out a second time this is and i i you know i unfairly pick on blair witch all the time there is a ton of found footage movies out there there's the vhs series paranormal activity and all those i always seem like i aim for blair witch but i guess it's because like everyone hails it as like the king of found footage just like no Cannibal Holocaust did it years before. Like, fuck off. <laughs> but, no, this was this was a lot of a lot of fun, um, very intriguing and very interesting to research as well. Like learning a lot about like you know the, the fact that like the script had no dialogue or like you know just had like cue points and whatnot. That's fuck, man. Like that that's pretty fucking good. Like I mean. I don't write word for word what I'm going to say on this podcast, but I still have sort of a genuine or like a general, I should say, not genuine, but general idea through, you know, points and whatnot. Like I have my cue points, but I'm a podcaster and you guys aren't watching me. I'm not purveying my emotions through, you know, like body language or whatnot. They, they had a tall task ahead of them and came out flying color. So again, thank you for listening. Let's do, though, where to find this fucking show and 
I'll announce next week's episode and we'll get the fuck on it. Where to find the show? So, you can find it at Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. I'm also adding in their CastBox and FM Player. They both, uh, I've searched it online and you can find it there. But of course, you can find it at the home. The home, the next level network at thenextlevelnetwork.com. That's where you're going to find this podcast and all the other ones as well. Uh, thenextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. You can also find the podcast at its second home, whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. If you want to email me, if you want to, you know, give me give me your thoughts. Give me, tell me what you thought about the movie or whatnot. Uh, you can do it through email. You can uh, email me at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. Or, you know, hook, hit, hit me up on the Instagram page at Instagram, you know, uh, at what lurks behind podcast zero or Twitter, uh, Twitter. I, I've been using a little bit more. Uh, I know I say this all the time. And you're like, ah, fuck you. You'll forget about it two weeks from now. But uh, on Twitter, um, at WLB podcast underscore zero. And there's the red bubble store. Of course, Redbubble.com slash people slash podcast zero. Now let's do the announcement for next week's episode. Next week's episode. Another listener request. This time from TJ the Drummer on Instagram. And TJ has requested episodes before. So, But this one, this one, oh, fuck. I am, I am really looking forward to reviewing this one. Partially because I haven't watched the movie in a bit. It's, it's been, oh, I'd say, at least a year, if not two years, since I watched this movie the last time. So I'm excited. I, I'm looking forward to breaking this one apart. But next episode movie starring charlie sheen from 1986 the wraith and that's that that's everything we're gonna close out this week i uh i picked a personal favorite it came up on one of my playlists i had one of my playlists on shuffle the other day and this song popped up and i was like fuck you know what i like that and i think it kind of in a way fits this episode because you know we're, we're talking about in, in in this film you know alice sort of has a second life we learn about after her death well this this closing track by emily autumn dead is the new alive in a way alice her dead was her new alive so i felt it it was it kind of fit it's got a good theme to it so we'll close off with some emily autumn thank you all for listening and next week the wraith from 1986 bye for now kids
Everybody's peace Without a pressing button 